Thank you, Nick, for reading that excerpt or the, the beginning of the story of Joseph from the Bible. Well, this morning it's been wonderful, hasn't it, to see Ellie Mae come and be baptized. And it's been great getting to know her family over the last uh, couple of months, seeing Ellie Mae come along to Kids Church and it's, it's just lovely to celebrate this special occasion. And at these kind of moments um, in a family's life are wonderful occasions, aren't they? Um, but of course, life is often very complicated and at times difficult to navigate. Just like in the reading that we've just heard about a young 17-year-old man called Joseph in what is the opening scene in a blockbuster story which, if it were produced by Netflix, would run to several box sets and keep you glued to your TV for days, if not weeks. And this extraordinary story of Joseph, which is not fiction, a true story, has inspired countless authors, musicians, songwriters, filmmakers, to bring it to us in different ways over the years. And it's popular, I think, because Joseph's life was unbelievably messy. There were lots of ups and downs, perhaps a bit like some of ours. Let me give you a feel for it. He was hated. We've heard that. He was hated by his brothers. Why? Because he was his father's favorite. Why was he his father's favorite? Well, because he was the first son born to Rachel, who was the wife that his father Jacob truly loved, his first love. Jacob went on to have three other wives. It didn't help that Jacob gave Joseph all the best clothes and left the other clothes for, for the other boys. And it helped even less that Joseph told everybody these dreams we've just heard about where the rest of his family are bowing down to him in the dream. A bit, a bit arrogant. That really upset them, especially as Joseph was the youngest of his many brothers. And the final straw was that Joseph ratted on his brothers to his dad. Verse 2 says that he brought a bad report about them to his father. As a result, the next time Joseph is out in the desert with his older brothers grazing the flocks and a long way from home, they grab him, they throw him in a cistern, the Bible calls it, it's like a well, and they're about to leave him to starve to death when along comes a caravan of spice traders en route to Egypt. So his brothers decide to go even one better than leaving him to die, they haul Joseph out of the well and they sell him to the traveling spice traders and make some money for themselves. They keep hold of Joseph's coat, dip it in blood, and then they take it to show his father and they tell him that a wild animal has killed his son Joseph. And his father is devastated and he lives in a state of almost permanent grief for most of the rest of his life. Nice brothers, hey? Meanwhile, Joseph gets taken all the way down to Egypt, which is hundreds of miles from home. And he's sold as a slave into the household of a man called Potiphar. Potiphar is the pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt's captain of the guard. In other words, he's his chief um, henchman, if you like, an important man. And Joseph gets to work so hard, working his socks off, 
that he soon gets promoted to running Potiphar's household. His life is suddenly on the up and up again, but not for long, because Potiphar's wife takes a fancy to the young Joseph. And while her husband is away on a business trip, she tries to seduce Joseph, but he refuses her advances and says that he will remain loyal to his master. And she's so upset at the rejection that she lays a trap for him and claims to her husband, completely untruthfully, that on his return, that Joseph has tried to rape her, which is too much for Potiphar, who then has him thrown in prison and effectively throws the key away. And Joseph will spend several years languishing in prison. Once again, Joseph's life has taken a big turn for the worse. Now, I'm going to stop there with the story. If you want to hear the sequel, you'll have to come back next Sunday, okay? But the point is, Joseph's life was extraordinarily messy, wasn't it? It was so family feuds, favoritism, arrogance, jealousy, hatred, accusations, and lies. Let me ask you this question this morning. Does any of this sound familiar? As in real life? Some families are very complicated. Joseph's father had four wives. Some of us have experienced relationships breaking down within our families. Some siblings fall out with each other, like Joseph's did. Some of us have had to deal with deep grief, like Jacob did, believing his son was dead. Some of us have been on the receiving end of lies and false accusations. And all of us, all of us, at some time or another, have been both victim and perpetrator. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. Life is often messy. But one of the key things about the story of Joseph is that somehow, despite having some appallingly low points through his life, he never lets his situation get the better of him. How is that? Well, briefly, let's see what we can learn from Joseph's life. Firstly, Joseph has great integrity. He always spoke the truth. Now, sometimes that got him into trouble, like when he brought a bad report about his brothers to his father, Jacob. Sometimes it got him into trouble, like when he told about the dreams that he'd had to his brothers and his father. And it's easy to see that he was perhaps a little naive. But he was consistent. And after the trauma of being slave trafficked from his home country down to Egypt, that integrity soon caught the eye of his new master, Potiphar, as he worked hard and proved so reliable that he was given the top job of running Potiphar's household. And do you know what? This reminds me of a true story about a man called Gibbo who used to work for Selfridge's department store in London as a clerk. One day, the phone rang at one of the desks in the store and Gibbo picked up the phone and the caller asked to speak to Gordon Selfridge, the store owner. 
who happened to be in the room at the time. So Gibbo turned to Gordon Selfridge and said, there's a phone call for you. But when Gordon Selfridge told him, just tell them I'm not, I'm not here, that I'm out. Gibbo stood his ground and he, gave the phone, he handed the phone over to Gordon Selfridge and said, you tell him you're out. And Gordon Selfridge was so furious, he almost sacked Gibbo on the spot. But then Gibbo said to him, do you know what, Mr. Selfridge, he said, if I lie for you, then I could lie to you, and I will never do that. And that man, Gibbo, became his most trusted employee and personal assistant over the following years. At a holiday club this half term, we were teaching the children some Bible verses to memorize, and this was one of them. It goes like this. If God can trust you with a little, he can trust you with a lot. It's a paraphrase of Luke 16.10 from a story that Jesus told to illustrate the same point. And the point is that when we make integrity a key value in our lives and live it out consistently, it makes a huge difference to how we are perceived by others and our, our, our families, our workmates, our bosses. And when life gets messy and when we hit the really tough situations and the difficult decisions and we're under pressure and we're tempted to do something wrong, then we'll make the right choices if we have integrity. And that's exactly what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife tried to get him to go to bed with her while her husband was away on a business trip. Joseph was under huge pressure. She was, after all, the master's wife, which gave her power. Joseph knew that he was going to upset her big time by refusing her advances. There's a saying, isn't there? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. By the way, that's not from the Bible. But the point is, the point is, Joseph refused to give in to her, saying that if he did, not only would it be a betrayal of his master, but a wicked sin against God. And that leads us to the second point that we can learn from Joseph. Firstly, he's a man of great integrity, but secondly, he understands his life as something lived out under God's gaze. When Joseph has a big decision to make, he doesn't ask the question, how can I get the most out of this situation? He asks the question, what would God want me to do? What would be the right thing to do here? Now, you might think, well, a fat lot of good that did him, because Potiphar's wife was so mad that she got him thrown into prison. But that would be to miss out on the point. Joseph had such a strong faith in God and God's plans for his life that he just takes it on the chin and then he becomes a model prisoner in the prison such that he gets given jobs and promoted and promoted to a position of trust and responsibility which will one day launch him to become God's chosen leader in, of, one of, the most, of one of the world's greatest empires on the planet and a position that he will use to save the entire population from a terrible famine and starvation and he will go on to live out God's destiny for him. Joseph knows that he is known by God, loved by God, and that whatever scrapes he gets into, if he remains faithful to God, then God will work the situation for good in the end. You know, one of 
this week's memory verses. We're doing a Lent challenge where we're memorizing Bible verses. One of this week's memory verses bears this out. It's, it's from Romans 8.28. And it's one of the great promises of God. And it says this, For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And God's promise is this, and Joseph knew this, no matter how difficult life gets, no matter what setbacks we have, if we remain true to one another and faithful to God, he will work things out for good in our lives. Sometimes that takes patience. Joseph had to be very patient for years in prison. Sometimes it means even trusting God through suffering and difficulty. But his promise is that he will bring good out of our faithfulness. Earlier on, Kirsty went around with the microphone. We heard some wonderful answers to prayer that people have received in just the last week since last Sunday. Real answers to heartfelt prayers in the messiness of life. This morning, would you put your trust in God? Would you dare to ask him to come into that situation in your life which is causing you pain, which is causing you or a loved one stress or anxiety and ask him to help, to heal or to save? Why? Because the third and the final aspect of Joseph is that perhaps more than anyone else in the Old Testament and even though he lived hundreds of years before him, Joseph was like Jesus. Of course, Joseph was not the son of God like Jesus. He was a saviour figure. He went on to save an empire from famine. But like Jesus, he never stopped doing what he believed and knew to be right, even when that meant persecution, rejection, and risking his life. He always did what he knew God wanted him to do. But there's one big difference between Joseph and Jesus. Today, Joseph is a great example to us all, and we can try to follow his example, but he cannot help us. He cannot save us, and he cannot answer our prayers. Jesus can. But the question this morning is, will we let him? When I was praying and preparing for this last night in the vicarage, I had a picture in my mind of someone sinking in deep water with a hand held out asking for help. It may be that one or two people here this morning are in a position that feels like that. It might be financial. It might be a relationship sinking. It might be a physical or mental condition. But if that's you and you know you're in that place, I want to tell you this morning that you can turn to Jesus And ask him to rescue you, to save you. You can know that God loves you, that he's on your side, that he wants the best for you, and that he's waiting for you to turn to him. If that's you, I do encourage you to reach out to him. And you can do that right now. I'm going to finish with a prayer that will help you to do that. Or even better, during our last song and at the end of the service, go over to our prayer ministry team who will be over in that corner and they would love to pray with you to help you to do that. But if you want to take a small first step toward Jesus and you've never done that before, 
then pray along with me now in your heart. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that in the messiness of life, you are always there for us, ready to help and guide and heal and save those who turn to you. Help us to be people who are true to ourselves, to one another, and faithful to you in all the ups and downs of life. And Lord, some of us this morning may feel we're sinking in some way. We call out to you now. Reveal your love and grace to us. Help us to turn to you. Give us strength to be like Jesus. And may your kingdom come in our lives and the lives of those we know and love. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you, Pads. And um, I think what really struck me about this was the fact that we cannot do it. We cannot live lives that are whole without God, lives that have meaning and purpose without God. And actually, as the godparents and the parents um, of Ellie Mae were making their vows, and we were all saying together, with the help of God, we will. We can't do anything without God's help. We can try, but actually it is God who gives us the ability, who helps us, who meets with us in those situations. And that's what we're going to sing about in our final song. The same power that lives in Jesus lives in us. There is power in the name of Jesus. So let us stand as we close with our final worship song.